0: Welcome to The Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 157 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of The Kinky Cast, we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you Laura Moon, sex work and the issues around it. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast.
1: Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting in the studio next to me is the Beast. Hey, Beast. Brr. Oh, you got your fur-lined knickers on.
2: Uh, yeah, I do, and no end inside here. Well, you know, you can mix
1: cold with uh, wet, have interesting things like we did last Friday.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. Cold and wet means I freeze it to the flagpole.
1: Yeah, okay. I'll keep it in your shorts. Yeah. So what do
2: you got tonight? <laughs> after after that, I don't know, our guest may have ran off. Probably. Um, we have, <laughs> there, there Laura is, we have Laura Lamoon with us from the wonderful wonderful west coast i hope it's wonderful where you are laura the liberal city of seattle oh well it may not be so lovely out there <laughs>
3: yeah it's pretty cold
1: <laughs> yeah i bet i've been to seattle when it's cold
2: mm. so are yeah. your knickers uh fur lined or are they uh quilted or or how do you how does a lovely girl like you stay warm out there
3: I don't wear knickers.
2: Ooh, well, <laughs> so, okay, oh, well, yeah. okay. Our guest, our, our, our podcast took a very positive turn. Yes, yes. <laughs> Laura, you work with a very fragile population. Mm-hmm. And what's that population that you work with?
3: So most of the activism work that I've done is sex workers' rights activism. So advocating Um, within communities who uh, engage in various forms of sex work or the adult industry, Um, and then also uh, focusing on populations who may identify as um, having been forced into prostitution or coerced in some way and may fall under the legal definition of human trafficking.
2: So this is a diverse uh, group of people that are both in, in it consensually and in it very non-consensually.
3: Right, exactly, yeah.
2: And your present projects, what are they?
3: Well, um, I think it was in June of 2015, uh, myself and a number of other sex workers who are locally based um, started uh, the Safe Night Access Project here in Seattle, which is where we, um, this might be not mean anything to people outside of Seattle, but um, we basically distribute harm reduction supplies along Highway 99 or Aurora Avenue, which is um, kind of one of the most industrial and very um, out of the way places here in Seattle and kind of one of the last places that uh, you could really find street-based sex work occurring. So um, we started doing that, and um, you know that is just kind of a giant undertaking. Um, we're trying to find 501c3 status through the People's Harm Reduction Alliance here in Seattle. Um,
1: can you explain? So yeah. can you explain harm reduction supplies?
3: Sure. So safe injection supplies, safe smoking supplies or safe smoking kits like uh, crack pipes, meth pipes, um, chapstick, things of that nature. Um, Any hygiene or health supplies that people might need, just the basics like shampoo, conditioner, soap, a toothbrush, deodorant. Um, And we're just kind of starting small with it. Um, and we'll, we hope to branch out, uh, to other areas and then also being able to do other things, um, as time goes on and we get more funding.
1: Well, you've been at this for a while. You go back to San Francisco Bay area when, when you started, right?
3: Yeah, correct. And
1: and so what were you doing there?
3: Um, so that was, like I said, at, uh, St. James Infirmary in San Francisco, And I was there for, I think, maybe two or three years. I started out just volunteering in the community room, which is where um, people would go to wait for a doctor's appointment. And I should back up and say that St. James Infirmary is a nonprofit medical clinic um, for sex workers, their partners, and their children. Um, So I started out doing that and then went on to... um, basically being uh, the lead investigator of a community-based research assessment on violence in the lives of sex workers in the city of San Francisco.
1: I guess you've seen a lot.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, social work, uh, you see a lot, but like every day keeps bringing more and more new stuff.
2: So your your background is as a social worker.
3: Um, yeah, I've kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, I've worked at nonprofit agencies um, doing things that weren't directly related to sex work, but I usually also, uh, in addition to that, was consulting to develop uh, sex worker friendly or harm reduction programs within those agencies
2: what what drew you to this um uh population that is often uh that people just want to look over they don't want to see them what what drew you to this population
3: yeah um well like a lot of other you know social workers or people who are social worky by nature um I came into the activism just through my own personal story. Um, you know, I started out uh, when I was about 18 in New York. And um, it was someone who was a boyfriend, or I thought he was a boyfriend of mine, turned out to be a pimping situation. Um, so that was kind of my personal experience with uh, I guess you would call it trafficking or forced uh, prostitution. Um, And I've also engaged in the industry um, from another angle by choice as uh, an escort at various times or a street-based sex worker um, or other things.
2: A street-based sex worker, that's about the most scary occupation I can imagine.
3: Yeah. um, My experience personally, and then also just from talking to other sex workers, is it's definitely um, extremely dangerous. Um, You're very vulnerable if you're just kind of out there in the elements. I mean, you know, you're open to all sorts of things, you know, robbing, raping, stabbing, um, getting in fights. Um, And of course, there's a whole kind of um, every every area of sex work has its own culture. So um, street based sex work would be a very different culture than somebody who's an independent escort or works in a massage parlor or whatever.
2: And what uh, um, what got you in and out of uh, of the uh, street based work?
3: Um. That's a really good question. I think for me, when I was doing street-based work, it was out of desperation. I didn't have many other options at that time. I didn't, you know, have the money to buy a Backpage ad. Well, one Backpage, um,
2: you know, did that. The now defunct, yes. Backpage is gone. They closed their adult section.
3: Yeah, I know. It's really... Um, unfortunate for a lot of people who depend on
2: those on both sides of the of the economic equation there it really creates a vacuum and just what will fill it and there was a certain surety in Backpage, and craigslist and others it wasn't the best thing in the world but there's a certain surety in it and what will happen now is going to be an interesting question
3: Right. Yeah, exactly. There's kind of a stability to knowing that Backpage is there and you can open an ad. And um, I know a lot of people who have relied on Backpage and I had a Backpage um, ad for a long while at one point. And, you know, if you don't have other options or if it's something that for whatever reason is just more convenient to you, then um, something like advertising on the Internet is a really usually good way to get clients you know targeting these websites just drives you know they do it with a preamble that it's all about human trafficking but it really just is targeted misogyny essentially a targeted attack against people who are most vulnerable so yeah
2: in your experience is human trafficking as bigger issue as we're led to believe or is this a political hop to push an agenda
3: Well, I definitely believe that there is a certain amount of hyping to push an agenda, for sure. And I think the agenda is, you know, America was founded on very puritanical values. And I think um, a lot of people still carry that. It's just targeted to kind of marginalize or further marginalize already marginalized communities.
2: That's a scary thought, that we're kicking the people that, in many cases, are already down. We're taking them to the steps and kicking them further down in into the cellar.
3: Yeah.
2: We go back. What got you uh, on the street and, and off the street? You said you got on the street out uh, desperation, which is a very common story. hmm And what got you off?
3: What got me? me personally out, and I will just as a disclaimer, say that my story is not everyone's story. But my personal experience was it became kind of like an addiction in a way. I have my own mental health issues and other things. And um, I also am living with chemical dependency Mm -hmm. issues. So I feel like all those things just kind of conspired to work against me. Um, And I was just on a mission at that time to destroy myself in any possible way. So it kind of just took me like really hitting my own personal bottom. Um, And that's different for everyone. But, you know, just doing a lot of really dangerous, crazy things, you know, going out onto the highway in the middle of the night and trying to find guys to kill me and rape me you know, trying to find someone to kill me on film. So it got really dark for me, and it doesn't get that way for everyone. But for me, it just was, I found it un- unhealthy for myself.
2: Well, we are glad you found your way out. And the community as a whole is very glad that we found such a great advocate that knows both from the inside and from the outside how this industry works and what's needed to bring some peace and safety and legitimacy, hopefully, eventually, to its members.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of my dedication going back definitely comes from my own personal dealings with the industry, both by choice and by force. So, yeah.
1: Recently, you uh, went to the East Coast for a big event.
3: Yeah, so I had to reschedule that event. Uh, Now it's April 21st. Uh, But I did go to San Francisco, um, and then I'm going back to the Bay Area again in March to do um, readings of the essays I've written, which are mostly kind of inspired by um, my own personal experience with sex work or trafficking or sexual assault. And so I just kind of, like, read those essays aloud, and it's a pretty... Pretty powerful and overwhelming experience for me.
2: Comes from deep inside you. Yeah. Have you published this uh, collection yet?
3: I have not. No, I'm. I'm. I've have been thinking about writing some sort of book or you know an anthology, something collection of essays. But it, it's just right now in a zine that I have.
2: So you have a website.
3: I have a couple. I have, so I have a blog, and that's feministnomadblog.wordpress.com. Okay. And a lot of the writing that goes into my zine is from there, or is kind of like an extension of that work.
2: And that will be on our show page, so you can check that link. Awesome. We are here to get our guest message out in the most positive way that we can, and and you definitely have an important message to get out. Um, how big is this industry in the United States?
3: The sex industry?
2: Well, your segment of the sex industry, which is sex workers, I mean, there's there's, there's the adult industry and there's a whole bunch of side parts.
3: Right, right. I think one thing that I found, especially when I was doing independent escorting off Backpage, was how I actually had a whole, and this doesn't happen to everyone, but I had a whole ton of people call me who I had dated previously or who knew me from some previous job or something. So it really kind of stuck with me like, oh, my God so many people are engaging engaging in sex work or they um they are you know working with a sex worker in some capacity i mean by nature though it has to be very underground or at least the non legal forms of sex work so you you don't always kind of see it or hear it necessarily.
2: I had a friend, well, I have a friend, and she was involved in the sex work industry as a second job in the, when she was on the West Coast. And she gets a call for a out call, and she shows up, and it was her boss at her daytime job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, their, their relationship shifted just a little bit. With the revelation there. Uh, Not for the worse, not necessarily for the better, but it Mm -hmm. did shift a bit. And so it's a much more common occurrence, I think, for people to move through the industry at some point in time in their life, either as a customer or as a provider.
3: Right. Absolutely.
2: What is coming up for you? What do you see in the future for your advocacy?
3: Well, definitely I would like Safe Night Access Project to continue to grow, gain 501c3 status, things of that nature. Me personally, um, I've really been getting into the writing I've been doing. So um, I do really hope to do a book at some point um, and just continue my writing and, you know, going around and touring and reading my stuff is really important to me. And hopefully I can do that on an international scale at some point. But I'm really just kind of enjoying that form of expression.
2: Speaking of international, some countries don't view street work or prostitution with the same disdain as the puritanical Americans do. Uh, Do you think that our laws will ever shift or is that too much to hope for?
3: I think definitely there's the possibility for a shift. There's been so many other great
2: movements
3: um, and so much other great progress for different communities. I definitely don't feel like it's too much to hope for. I do, though, feel like, you know, it's something that you just have to keep at day by day and not give up and not get discouraged.
2: I see the shift in the uh, marijuana industry to be uh, quite significant. And it is a, started out being a very illegal underground culture. And it's now legal in nearly, in some form or fashion, nearly half the states in the country. Right. So I see some, um, some definite lessons there that may be applicable to bringing this segment into, under a much safer umbrella at least. Do you think things are going to get
1: easier or harder with the change of administration?
3: I definitely think harder just by some of the things we've been hearing thus far that, you know, abortion is going to be the number one agenda for them to abolish. And I definitely, though, believe like what some some other activists have said that, you know, you can't lose hope. It is going to be really hard, and I feel like that's why it's so important for us to come together, um, especially marginalized communities, sex workers and things of that nature. We can't, there can't be a rift. We can't divide. We have to come closer together um, now with this new administration.
2: Yes, I think we we need to celebrate the victories that each of us make jointly instead of dividing ourselves but uh, coming together and celebrating those those individual victories as if they're our own.
1: In coming together, is there any organization of uh, sex workers within the U.S.?
3: Yeah, there are definitely organizations or nonprofits that uh, are geared towards serving solely sex workers. However, they are few and far between. You know, there's, there's not that many of them. Like the ones who... I mean, there's St. James Infirmary, there's HIPS in Washington, D.C. There's a couple other agencies in the Bay Area and also New York. That's a good point. It's really hard for the sex working community to come together because, you know, we may come from such varied uh, parts of the industry and maybe a street based sex worker is not going to have necessarily the same things in common as um, an adult film performer.
1: I lived in Europe, in the Netherlands for a number of years, and the whole sex work industry there, the, the prostitution as such, is so well organized. It's government regulated, everybody has health certificates, everybody has medical insurance, and it is a model of how it should be done. And then I come back here and look that everybody's just, you know, trying to squeak it along. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It's sad is what it is.
3: Yeah. We're definitely still in the dark ages. I mean, especially compared to Europe when it comes to sex and our ideas about sex.
1: So do we have to elect you to uh, some office to organize this, to get uh, people out of the doldrums and working here? that i
2: have such a thing against authority figures so even if it's you right
3: yeah even if it's me i would just hate myself i don't know
2: (laughs) well i think obama said in his farewell speech get your clipboard and hit the streets right he did we're now in a grassroots effort
1: time in politics and this is going to affect you and your goals as much as anybody is just to get out there get the word Get the clinics to uh, get people in and take care of them. There's a lot of social work to be done.
3: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have anything to add to that?
3: Um, no, I definitely think it is the time where a lot of the laws may be changing and not in our favor. However, that just means we have to be stronger about, like you guys said, hitting the streets and just being incredibly grassroots and getting back to basics.
1: Thank you for talking with us tonight, Laura. And I I think you have a really important message. And we just need to spread it around as best we can and get some visibility to this because it is so important. You know, we we see that there's a lot of people being abused by the the unorganized system that we are forced to use. And we are forcing people into the alleys and, and, and horrible places instead of allowing it to be taken care of and and done right.
3: Absolutely. I I have always believed that stigma is probably one of the biggest things that marginalizes our community and then you know that stigma um results in, you know, violence from police, violence from clients, not being able to make reports, having to hide here there and everywhere both literally and figuratively. So, um yeah, stigma's huge.
1: Well, and then you take the other parts of it, such as the pimps that are out there really doing some very bad things and uh, making it dangerous.
3: Right. Yep.
1: Well, again, thank you so much for uh, this information tonight, and we will have your links up on our page, and if somebody needs to get in touch with you, I'm sure they will find you that way. Keep up the great
3: work. Great. Thank you so much, you guys, and and you also keep up the
0: great work.
1: Uh, Thank you so much.
0: You have been listening to episode 157 of The Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we bring you Patty Evans of Harmony Us.